Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, listener. This is Alan Seals, and you're listening to the Theater Podcast. Today's guest is Jared Grimes, who has a phenomenal story of being born in New York, going to North Carolina around the age of six, then coming back up to New York City off and on to start performing because that's the passion that was the burning in his heart at 16 was tap dancing all over the New York City subway system. And fast forward a couple years, he's working for Mariah Carey as a backup dancer. Fast forward a couple more years, and now he's on Broadway and he's a Tony nominee for his role in Funny Girl. So, you know, just like everybody's story, he does this for the love of performing. He tells the way he talks about performing, the talk about dancing, he just goes to this internal place. The need for dancing, the need for performing just burns inside him. And he does it for him. He does it because he has to, not because of any other reason. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to listen to him talk about it. And one of the other things that stuck out to me about the interview was at the end, one of the three closing questions was, you know, what advice would you give to your younger self? He was like, find your purpose, find your purpose. And he, he, the way he went into it, the reason behind it was just beautiful. I'll let him tell it. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I do. Find me online, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and leave a rating, leave a review, you know, all the normal stuff that I say before every episode. And everybody now, please enjoy this episode with Jared Grimes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's guest is a world-renowned quadruple threat, a tap dancer, actor, singer, and choreographer. He started out dancing in the New York City subway when he was just 16, before he landed a gig as a backup dancer for Mariah Carey, and then when he was just 24, became the youngest solo choreographer in Cirque du Soleil history for his theatrical show, Banana Spiel. He is currently starring in the much-anticipated Broadway revival of Funny Girl, but in addition to Funny Girl, in which he plays the character of Eddie. He is also a well-known cult leader, Adrian Shannon, on the Netflix hit Manifest, which is currently filming its fourth season, and is seemingly bouncing effortlessly between the Broadway, television, and dance worlds. And to top it all off, he just received a 2022 Tony nomination. Holy crap, Jared Grimes, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you so much, man. I'm super glad to be here. Dude, uh, Manifest, God, that show just does it for me. I don't know. 
I don't know what it is. It's the sci-fi. It's the time travel. You you put anything like uh, maybe it's the time travel and airplanes, two things that I love, and then all of a sudden, like I just love it. But anyway, we're gonna get into that because holy shit! But <laughs> tell me about where you you grew up because I assume you're a, a New York kid, being that you you were dancing in the subway when you were 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, uh, New York, but I, um, I was born in Jamaica, Queens, New York, and I moved to North Carolina when I was six. What part? So I got the best of both worlds, you know, Southern hospitality and that, you know, aggressive, you know, New York nature. Um, so I'm a country boy at heart with the, with the, you know, with the weaponry of a city boy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and when I mean weaponry, I mean just attack mode when it comes to the gifts that I've been, you know, that I've been given. I don't, I don't shy away from that at all. Um, uh, with the humble nature of a Southern, you know, boy. Um, <laughs> so like, it's a, it's a perfect mix. And, um, yeah, I, I came back to New York in 2000 or actually before I came back to New York in 2001, my mom would bring me up, up, uh, to New York for different uh, classes and auditions and stuff like that, workshops, um, and just to see family and whatnot. And um, around the time where, you know, we knew I was either going to go to L.A. or New York for college, you know, she started bringing me up and then leaving me with, you know, family, friends or just friends of hers or friends of mine. I would stay with them. You know, they might be in college already. So I might crash at the dorm or something like that. And, um, you know, that's around like 16, you know. That's when I was like, all right, cool. Well, what are we doing on this trip? And they're like, oh, we're going to perform. I'm like, oh, okay, what theater? They're like, oh, the subway. <laughs> so I was like, hey, let's, let's get it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, let's get it. Um, you know, they were only a couple of years older than me. You know, we're talking about, you know, they were freshmen and sophomores in college too. So we were all around the same age. They were just on their own more so. Um, and so just kind of going down there with friends and just kind of laying a board down. And, you know, they got the drumsticks out. They're drumming you know, on the buckets and we're just, you know, having the time of our lives. That was, you know, kind of like my first, you know, on my own New York experience in terms of like performing, you know, without my mom being by my side or my right. dad, you know, being, you know, in the audience, like, you know, we were just running around the city and we would just make any corner of the stage, any subway platform, the stage. Um, we particularly love to perform in front of uh, the ESPN zone restaurant <laughs> when it was on 42nd street. So I would always be able to like, man, I can perform and I can look in the window and watch the game at the same time. Like it's, it's the best of both worlds. So <laughs> That's really interesting. And, and I actually had this conversation with somebody the other day that um, uh, it was Elizabeth Teeter actually, because she came up on her own, you know, she's in Beetlejuice now as Lydia came up mm -hmm. on her own. And when she was 14 and was set out loose on the city and I'm from North Carolina too. So that's why I was asking what part you, you moved to. So yeah. Hi, <laughs> Yeah, so for North Carolina, and when you come up here, especially in a place with North, like North Carolina, where there's no public transportation, it's all country. It's, I mean, for the most part, you need a car pretty much everywhere else. You come up here at 14, 16, and all of a sudden you can go anywhere anyone of any age can go, then your world just opens up in a way that is so unique to New York City. And I absolutely love that about this city. And I love that about your story too, because I assume down in North Carolina, you were a big fish in a small pond. And then you come up here and you're like, okay, here we go. I am going to, what theater are we performing in? Oh, the subway? Cool. Okay. <laughs> so what do you, why is everybody ignoring me? Like what's going on at this point? I mean, just, you know, it's, it's funny is that uh, trying to earn the respect of a New Yorker who has no time for anything 
and they're usually always late anywhere. And even if they're on time, they move like they're late. The game quickly became, how can I get you to give me a little bit of your time? You know, by just performing, tap dancing, um, you know, enjoying what I'm passionate about. How can that get me to give, like, how can that get me to get you to give me the time of day when you have no time? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would go down there or we would go to the, um, you know, our favorite spots. And, you know, I'd close my eyes and I would just go. And, you know, sometimes you would look up and there's 15 people. Sometimes you would look up, there's two people. Sometimes you would look up and there's a hundred, you know, crowded around the sidewalk. So it just, it just became about how much can I like share? How much can I get you to, you know, to, to evolve with me, love with me, be passionate about something, you know, with me, uh, in that moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, it, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, being a young kid, I think that's what really, you know, solidified that I wanted to come to New York and pursue all of this. Cause I was like, all right, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to perform no matter what, whether, you know, I pursue and achieve a lot of my goals or, you know, if I don't quite get that, I'll always be able to share, um, what I'm passionate about. Um, cause you know, dancing in the subway or, you know, just dancing around New York city. I mean, that's the rawest form of being able to, you know, to entertain people. And, uh, I still get that itch. It's funny. Cause I like, I'll be walking around and I'll pass the subway and there's, there's not a, there hasn't been a day since I started doing that that I haven't been like, man, I could just, I got 15 minutes, man, I could just lace them up right now and just go at it real quick. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't performed, you know, in the subway probably since like 2003. Um, they started to do the whole, like you had to have a permit to perform down there and everything. So um, I kind of, once they started to stiffen the rules a little bit on uh, artistic creativity in the subway, I was like, it kind of killed it for me a little bit. So I took all of that stuff and around that time, I started to work a little bit more anyway. You know, I took all those, uh, you know, those experiences and I just kind of translated them to the stage or to the camera. And, um, you know, I felt I felt like it gave it gave me advantages that I, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so, um, yeah, I have a lot, a lot of that raw and that like unbridled aggression and that just like craving and yearning and just, you know, I just, ah, when you go down in the subway, man, it's like. Woo, it's like gladiator. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Are you, Are you not, not entertained? entertained? <laughs> it, yeah. it feels like that, man. It's like it just it's just a different type of you know, I can go down there with a tank top on too. Like I don't have to wear a tux and tails or I don't have to, you know, wear a particular costume. I can go down there in a tank top and and basketball shorts and Nike high socks and rock for like five hours and just me and that, you know, in my true essence that's that's enough you know in the subway to where in other situations you might have to think about it a little bit more um you know or i could just stop dancing and go talk to a a a young a young boy or a young girl who you know are are shaking their feet and dancing because they're excited about what i'm doing i could just stop and just have a conversation and hopefully change that you know young child's life um you know hopefully change everybody's lives you know especially if they're just onlookers are just walking by in some way shape or form if they see me freely uh and with all the love in the world just doing something that i'm i'm super passionate about then in some way shape or form that gives them a little bit more fuel in the tank to you know achieve whatever goal you know they have in mind or whatever hurdle they're trying to get over you know hopefully in some way they they would see me down there that would help them you know strive for greatness in their own way you said something uh, a second ago that 
that stuck with me that you would you start dancing, you'd close your eyes, and sometimes it'd be two people, sometimes it'd be ten, sometimes it'd be a hundred. So you're you're out there, you're dancing for you. You're doing this. And you said that right at the end of when you were just talking, that that it's it's about your passion and your passion for dancing and performing. And you're out there and you just close your eyes and you just start going and then if anybody else is watching, that's a benefit. And then they throw you a couple bucks and it pay, it helps pay your bills, right? But what do you remember what I guess what came first when you were a kid? Like it sounds like have you been dancing the longest? And what okay, I'll stop there. Have you been dancing the longest out of all the four quadruple things that you are now a threat in? Yeah, that was like my introduction into, you know, entertainment was I saw my mom dancing with her friends in the living room, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to come downstairs early and they would be down there practicing their routines, doing like Paula Abdul stuff, Janet Jackson stuff. And I was just like, ah, I want to do that. And my mom, you know, actually was horrible at tap dance. So uh, <laughs> she tried to give me like a couple steps and I took those steps and I, I went, you know, I, I ran away with it. I was like, I was like, okay, here's a basketball. I was doing windmills the second day. Like that's, that's how, you know, that's how, you know, it kind of chose me. And uh, so dance was my first introduction into, into the arts. And um, through dance, through tap in particular, which is my first love, is when I started to realize that other tap dancers did other things. And I began to gravitate towards those things like comedy and choreography and, and singing, um, just storytelling on, on just a cr crazy historical level when you're watching, you know, Bill Bojangles Robinson and the Nicholas Brothers and, and John Bubbles and, you know, performers like that. Like it, I, I began to see the rich history of, you know, what it meant to American history, being that jazz and tap dance kind of birthed beside each other <laughs> and became one of the rare American first art forms um, in American history, starting down in Five Points, New York. You know I mean? That's pretty mm -hmm. much where the, the tap dance uh, genre began was a collection of different cultures coming over here for opportunity. And they were bringing their, you know, their, their, their cultural dances and tap was kind of formulated through a bunch of different, <clears throat> you know, ideals and ways of living um, and customs. And William Henry Lane was the first person to put all of those together in a manner in which we call it tap dance. So, you know, at an early age, you know, I was like, Oh man, tap is, is the thing that was the, were the keys to the car. And then once I started to learn about all those guys and all the history, I was just like, all right, cool. You know, I want to be like them. And what they did was everything under the sun, especially being, you know, black um, in the early 1900s, you had to do everything under the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you just had to, you had to be, you know, extraordinary in order to get, you know, in the door. And it's not that people were doing that just to get in the door. It's just something they were passionate about you know, about, and, um, you know, so tap was my first introduction into that, which, you know, once I got in the door, you know, the floodgates opened and I, I was just like, oh, well, tap can help me do choreography. Tap can help me, you know, be on a TV show. Tap can help me be in a Broadway show. It can help me be in a movie. It can help me write a script. It can help me do everything. It's the life source, you know, it's the infinity stone, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it. It's it, rhythm, rhythm, vibrations, dancing. I still think I, I've said this a couple times on the podcast already that dancing is is one of the most primitive forms of communication, right? Because you get it transcends language, it transcends race and gender and everything. It's just you get together and you feel something with the people you're in the room with, and you're going on a journey. And that's that's my version of spirituality. I that's what yeah. I love. Be I love. 
especially with strangers, going on journeys with people to in learning stories, seeing stories, and moving. Movement is just the best. And that's why, like little kids, you you throw some music on and they're just they're boogieing, they're dancing. They got it. And then yeah, <laughs> the embarrassment, the shame, that that is taught. But I think <laughs> no, I'm serious. I like a shame that is that stuff is taught. And then if you could if you could have a kid that was just like all right, everywhere you go, you just, you're bugging in and moving around. And, and that's why I love what you said a second ago about like stopping in the subway and changing people's lives, talking to people, these little kids who are coming by who may have never seen a tap dancer up close or even at all. Then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, that, that's what I like. Cause I feel it. I can mm-hmm. feel it in my whole body. Mm-hmm. I love that's that. That's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. So then Going into, let's see, so you're, you're dancing, you're in New York, and then, so how did the whole Mariah Carey situation come around? Oh, well, you know, just uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, that was the, the, the big burst of the boy band thing and the pop star. So, of course, you know, I'm watching MTV, I'm looking at all these shows, VH1, making it a band, making it a pop star. I'm like, well, man, shoot, that'd be cool to be a, a, a pop star, too. And I tap that. I was like, man. I was like, maybe I'll be the first, like, you know, tap dancing usher or Justin Timberlake or something crazy like that out there. Or maybe I could be in a boy band and, you know, maybe it could be like the rap hacker with that. Um, uh, so I was just like, all right, cool. Well, I definitely wanted to, you know, check off backup dancing on my, my list of things to do. Because I grew up watching, like I said, you know, the pop movement and, you know, the, the backup dancers and the young choreographers. That was just so appealing to me. Um and uh, so I, I came to New York and I was taking hip hop classes, too. I was, you know, I was like, all right, cool. Like, let me get into these classes. So maybe one day I can be on MTV or, or you know, backup dance for for a major artist, um, because that's what I was, you know, consuming so much on TV. And uh, I was in uh, math class at Marymount Manhattan College. Um, and I had like two math classes back to back. I don't know how I had that going on that semester, but uh, I got a call during the first one. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, my agents were like, Hey, yeah, there's a, a audition for Mariah Carey, you know, in an hour. And I was like, I was like, I got math class. Like, I was like, and math is my worst subject. <laughs> I was like, I kind of gotta be here. Um, cause when it comes to math, like I'm like a musician, once we get beyond eight, I'm like, Oh my goodness, I start to struggle a little bit. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'll, I'll try to make it. I told my teacher, I was like, if you can, you know, give me the assignment, you know, I'll have it done by tomorrow. Um, and then um, I didn't even get a chance to tell my, my next teacher that I was going to, you know, bail and go to this audition. And, you know, it's like Mariah Carey. So I'm like, it's, it's one of those, like, it's a shot in the dark. You know, it's going to be like 300 dancers there. Um, in this particular case, there were about, you know, 300 dancers there. They were only looking for one person wow. because uh, I guess the other dancers from L.A. had already flown out. So they already had the job. And I was like, is this really going to be worth it? The choreographer was a choreographer that I really wanted to um, actually learn from and perform uh, perform with more so than, you know, Mariah Carey at that point in time. Uh, I can remember on my very first theater job, uh, Justin Timberlake did his first like solo performance on the MTV uh, VMAs. And I was like, well, who's the choreographer? Who's the choreographer? And it was Marty Kudelka, who was the choreographer for Mariah Carey at this time. So I was just like, well, you know, if anything, let me go get a free class. You know, like I'll go get a free class. Like if I get cut, at least I got a free class from the, you know, the choreographer that I really wanted to, um, you know, rock with. And so I get to the audition. I make it past the first round. Okay, cool. It's cool. Make it past the second round. All right. All right. All right. So we in here. So, I, you know, and each time I make it, you know, past the a cut or a round, 
you know, we were learning more of the combination. And I was just like, yo, the song was so fly. It was uh, Shake It Off. Um, one of my favorite songs that she's, you know, ever put out, even though she has a laundry list of songs, but that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones. Um, just the pocket was crazy. It was just, I was just like, oh, I'm having a time with my life. I don't even care if I get this or not. I'm just like, I'm just rocking and I'm feeling good and I'm not in math class. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and I messed around and, and got it. I was, like, wait, I was like, wait a minute. Like, you know, I've got, I got it. And then we started rehearsing that day. And then all the, the, the dancers from LA that had gotten the job, these are all these guys and gals that I, I have seen on social media and on YouTube performing. They were like, you know, celebrity backup dancers. And I was just like, what? I've been seeing this person on TV for the past five years, seeing this person dancing, Janet Jackson, Reading Spears, Justin Timberlake. Like, I'm just like, and I'm in a room with like all of those heavyweights and I'm like, you know, the puppy. And I was just like, <laughs> it had nothing to do with tap dance. Although tap dance in some way, shape or form, you know, got me to that position. And, you know, I was just like, now I'm in the sneakers. Now I'm dancing with Mariah Carey, with the choreographer that I always wanted to work with, uh, Marty Kudelka, who's now a good friend of mine. And I was just like, on the promo tour for Emancipation of Mimi for like a couple months, dancing with Mariah Carey. And I was just like, I mean, I would fly, we flew, we flew out to do Ellen one day, um, early in the morning, and I flew back in and then I went to class. And <laughs> the way class? that uh, Ellen is taped, yeah, I went to class, <laughs> the way <laughs> Ellen is taped, it, after we filmed, it came on like a couple hours later. So I went back to class and it was on while I was in class. And they were like, when'd you do that? I was like, this morning. <laughs> I was like, I was in LA this morning. You know, we did this like that. And I saw so that was, I mean, and then after Mariah Carey, that's when I started to back up bands for more people, you know, Busta Rhymes, Salt and Pepper, um, Common, like all that crazy stuff. So I had a, a good, good backup dancing phase. And then after that, like, I kind of got my fix. I was like, you know, it was really only one choreographer I wanted to work with. And, you know, Mariah Carey is up there on the food chain when it comes to, you know, artists. So I was just like, all right, well, I, I checked all those boxes off. So let's, let's get something else in there. But uh, yeah, man, that's my Mariah Carey story. Crazy, right? That's <laughs> fascinating. That's fascinating. And I, I, I think I attribute a lot of the, of the success there to what you said. You're like, well, I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to, I'm going to go get a, a free class from one of my favorite choreographers. Right. And that's some of the advice that I've heard over years and years and years is like, don't go in there thinking the job is yours. Don't walk away from it thinking you lost the job. The job was never yours. Just go in there and embrace what makes you different, have fun. And this goes right back to what you were saying a second ago was you do it because you, you dance because you love it. You're passionate about it. And so you're just there to meet these people. You're not there to get the job. And lo and behold, you got the job out of one out of 300, right? Oh man, I tell you, it's still like baffling to me. Like I'm, I'm like, yeah, I did. I, like, yeah, I did that. Like that's, that's one of those crazy things that you're just like, all right, well, I didn't wake up that morning thinking I wanted to go backup dance for Mariah Carey. It just, the opportunity presented itself. And, you know, like you said, um, you know, I just kind of step into any situation in my entire life with a, a sponge-like mentality. Um, I always want to learn from the situation. Even when I have self-tapes for film and TV and stuff like that, like I, I'm, I'm obsessed with the craft. I'm so obsessed with the craft that the outcome means nothing to me. Like it's, it's just my, I set the bar so high for myself and how much I devote and surrender myself to the craft that that's what means the most to me. And like, you know, if there's a benefit at the end of the tunnel, you know, after I dive in and immerse myself, then that's cool. If not, if I feel good about, you know, the work that I've done, then that's good enough for me, you know? But especially in, in New York, 
when you're heading, you're, you're at point A and you think you're going to point C or D, when you get to B, it's nothing like what you anticipated just because of possibly who you even ran into or past dancing on the subway, right? Like there's all these opportunities <laughs> to change your course. And then I love, love, love that you just embrace the, the opportunities when they present themselves because all of a sudden you're finding yourself at the other end of the tunnel, like you were saying, and you've got all this, this trail of success behind you because you just said yes when the opportunities presented themselves. And you're like, all right. So that is fascinating to me. And I think a great lesson for, for everybody to take away too. And uh, uh, side note though, you said you were in college for math. What were you in college for originally? For performing? I uh, went to college for communication arts. Communicate. All right. So not. So I was not, math not was one of those electives that I had yep. to I had to get out the way. And in one semester, I had like two classes because I think I just forgot to you know get one in. So I was like, I'll do a double class one semester, and it was it was great. I got a good grade, but I'm telling you, like I actually like had to like history. I love history, science. You know what I mean? All that crazy stuff. That's my stuff. But when it comes to math, man, I start. I start sweating. I start sweating a little bit. <laughs> I start sweating. That's one of my stress. Feel math. Like I can feel music math. Music math, I can feel that all day. But like book math, like I just I can't feel it. Like it's not like ah, I can't musically connect to it because there's nothing musically, you know, jumping off the page at you. It's just no, like you I have to it. know it. I get so it. That's, that's one of my still recurring stress dreams of of being at the end of my of some curriculum, like a college curriculum, and realizing that I missed a class that I should have taken years ago and had not being able to graduate. That's legit one of the dreams I have right now. Me. Me in a nutshell. Right <laughs> We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I was going to ask a question about like the being in the business of Broadway, lots of rejection and in in New York, I mean, especially like it kind of prepares you for um, for I mean, you're on the subway and people were walking by you and not even acknowledging your presence a lot of time. But I think the answer to that question, my, my question originally was like, did you get prepared? Was that experience? Blah, blah, blah. But the way that you were just talking, I don't think I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to me like rejection is rejection in your mind. It's just a, uh, a different path to another opportunity. Yeah. I mean, 110,000% what you just said. Early on, <clears throat> I was uh, audition, uh, not audition. I was trying out for my middle school basketball team. Um, and I got cut two years in a row. So the first year I got cut, I was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, I'm one of the shorter guys on the team. I mean, I'm, I, but I'm nice though. Like I'm nice. You know what I mean? It's not like I was trash. Like I'm like, and I'm still nice. Um, but I was, I didn't get it. So I worked real hard. Like me and my pops, we were in the driveway, like till like we, I was in the morning, like almost every night after I got cut the first time for like a whole year, because I was just like, I know I'm good enough to make the team, you know, just the way the chips fell, you know, I didn't make the team that particular first, uh, in that first year. And in the second year, when I got cut, I was like, man, it took it out of me. Cause I knew I was one of the best ones trying out. I just didn't make the team for whatever, you know, for whatever reasons. And I think that was the first time in my entire life that I had actually been told that I wasn't good enough. Hmm. Um, I mean, like, cause when it comes to anything in life up until, you know, that, that point in middle school, like I was, I was the only guy in dance class. A lot of times I was the only guy in theater class, uh, only guy in acting class, only guy at the dance competitions. 
Um, and so since you're the only guy and in a lot of cases, the only, you know, black male guy in certain um, instances, oftentimes you, you kind of they, they want you to go through because they know that you're a rare bird. Um, and so I think that was the first time like being in a gym full of, you know, people of all races, all heights, all weights, um, all talent levels where I didn't have the advantages that I had in the arts. Um, of being like the only guy. So the first year when I got cut, I was like, <clears throat> all right, so I got to like, I got to work hard, 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 hard. I got to work super hard. Then the second year when I got cut, I was just like, all right, so one thing I'll never do is I'll ever, I'll never let somebody be in charge of my happiness. Mm. Um, because I, I, and I know everybody's been through this, but I had never I'd seen it in movies so many times, but I had never felt, and I still to this day don't think I've ever felt that. I've never felt what it felt like to walk up to a piece of paper and not see your name on it. And I was just like, it killed me. The second year, like, it didn't hurt as bad the second year because, like, you know, once you get stung, you know, you build up a little bit of armor. But it's still the second year when I, when I didn't see my name up there, I was just kind of like, I made that 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 change in my mind in terms of what my mission statement was and how I would control, you know, the outcome of 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 any situation that I was in in terms of you know situations where I you know I I wasn't the gatekeeper, and from that point on, I, my mindset changed. And then it's funny because my freshman year of high school, I made the basketball team. I didn't stop working. I I worked even harder than I did after I got cut the second time. I made the basketball team uh, my freshman year of high school, and then I got bumped up to varsity midway through the year. That's how hard I worked. Wow. And so I was just like, I was the only freshman, one of the only freshmen on varsity. I think it was like maybe two of us that got bumped up. Um, and I was out for blood, man. I was out for blood. I didn't care how old you were. I didn't care how tall you were. Like, I almost had a chip on my shoulder because I knew I was in, I was in, in the arts. And I, like, I took it, like, I took it personal. I was like, all right, well, look, this, is, this isn't even my, my first love. I was like, I just love to play basketball. So I'm about to wreck everybody in this gym. I don't care if you're 50 years old, 40 years old. I'm about to wreck all y'all because I'm a tap dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's what's, that should hurt even more if I, if I destroy you and you know that I'm going to theater class next. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that should destroy you. You know what I mean? So I just, I, after, after that, I just turned into like this, this, this machine. And I just was like, all right, cool. Like, now I understand what my superpower is. I went through getting cut twice because, you know, I had to find out that one of my superpower powers was resilience, you know, relentlessness. Um, I hadn't really, you know, tapped into those things at that point in my life. And that's when I was just like, I needed that. Like I needed that to, to break me up. So that way I could kind of, you know, build the, the, the coat of armor that I have now, even I, I take it all the way back to that. Um, Cause nothing in my life, no audition getting cut from anything, in the arts, nothing ever made me feel as crazy as getting cut from the basketball team. <laughs> <Wow. school. laughs> so, so that's kind of like, I mean, that's, that's kind of been my journey. That's how I, you know, that's how I, uh, I have the mindset that I have now. And, you know, like I said, no audition, no for anything, even no matter how bad I want it, you know, nothing, nothing phases me. It, it doesn't shake me. And I try to tell other people about this too. Um, you know, go into it for the work, go into it for the love, going to it for the craft um and you'll always be satisfied um if you let yourself down then you know that's the, the biggest detriment that you can possibly you know have going on 
um, if you really want something. Don't worry about, you know, things outside of you that you can't control. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's why that's why I'm here today. All the things that I've done in my, my entire life, you know, they're blessings. They're not, you know, because you know, they were supposed to happen. It was always going to happen like that. It's, you know, I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you to give me something that is not destined for me to have. And I just, you know, I wasn't in the cars. I wasn't supposed to be on the middle school basketball team because, you know, the universe was like, if he's not on that, then he's going to be on varsity. You know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to balance it out, you know, and if he still stays in the fight, if he works even harder, then we'll give him double you know, on the other side of things and, uh, you know, have a very much, you know, yin, yin, yang type of thing, you know, up, down, gravity, all that kind of stuff. If you stay the course, if you really believe in yourself, if you have that resilience, if you have that relentless, you know, attitude, inertia towards everything you want, all your dreams. Um, and like I said, something as silly as, you know, your name not being on a piece of paper means nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely know what you mean. And, and I agree with you too, because the the resilience the armor that you built when your name wasn't on that piece of paper who knows where that uh, how many times that came in, came into play and that you 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 use that exact uh resilience to get where you are now a tony nominee alongside some of the best people on broadway right like ramin karamlu and beanie feldstein and jane lynch like this cast it yourself included some of the best people i've ever seen put together and the reviews i mean that you're you're the people talking about your your performance is just phenomenal obviously well well deserved and and well Thank well you. needed i mean going out then eight shows a week alongside this cast is it, it, it the audition for this for funny girl is that one of those things where you were like maybe i'm gonna let this hurt my feelings if i don't get it or like is it <laughs> one of those <laughs> like is there anything now where you're like you know what? I really, really want this. And it's going to sting if I don't get it. Ah, you know what? Uh, funny girl, we were, we were preparing for season four of uh, manifest. Um, and the schedule was like bonkers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, um, and we were also, we were also rehearsing for the Tonys. Um, Cause me and my, my cuz who's also from uh, North Carolina, um, D Watts, we were doing a special performance. Um, on the Tonys uh, last year. And so, you know, I was trying to figure out manifest schedule, wardrobe, all that crazy stuff. Um, and then we were in rehearsals for that. And so, you know, the, you know, there was a couple auditions that I had, self-tapes that I had, you know, intermittently throughout that whole process. Funny Girl was one of them. Um, and so, you know, I, my, my agents will send me something and I'll look over it and I'll, you know, I, I, I never want to take on any contract or give anything the time of day if, if I can't um create some kind of change you know with the character or with the project or you know bring something that i feel like you know you know hasn't really been done you know on a certain platform uh, and a lot of that is from a historical standpoint too like i like to bring history to a lot of projects not to beat you over the head and be like oh history 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 but in some way some way shape or form if i can if i can give you a piece of something um, that I'm passionate about historically, um, to preserve something and to keep something alive, such as tap dance, what it is to be a, uh, an African-American tap dancer, mm -hmm. you know, in <laughs> the ethos of entertainment, then, you know, I usually, I usually take on projects like that. Um, and like I said, it, it, I don't have to be like an Eddie Ryan character who is a choreographer to, to do that. I could be, you know, Adrian Shannon 
you know, over at Manifest too, and still be able to kind of give a historical perspective. Um, when it came to uh, Funny Girl and that role, I was like, oh, boom. <laughs> it was Eddie. Like, I feel like an Eddie already. Like, I was like, if somebody called me, Ed, like, it makes, like, I, you know, I feel like somebody named Eddie. You know what I mean? Eddie mm-hmm. Ryan's super cool name. And I was like, oh, and he's a choreographer too. Um, I was familiar with the story, Funny Girl, but I hadn't really, you know, dove into many of the characters outside of, you know, Fanny Bryce. You know what I mean? That's what the show was, it was all about when I was a kid and I never really watched the movie. I just kind of saw it in bits and pieces, maybe in a hotel room or in the, in the background or something like that. Like I had never seen the movie in its entirety. Um, but it's, I was just like, yeah, this is an opportunity, you know, especially since the character, you know, previously was, was Caucasian, um, you know, now, you know, with the character being black, there's possibly a, a, a good chance to really give audiences a different perspective of what the relationship between Eddie and the world that Fanny Bryce would have been back then. Like I said, without beating people over the head, um, you know, seamlessly and effortlessly giving you the history um, in a way that, you know, is really filled with integrity. Um, and it's just rich culturally too, as well. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll audition. Like, I, 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 yeah, this, 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 this feels right. This feels cool. Um, and it's musical comedy too. The last show that I that I did was definitely not a musical comedy because it, it was a a, a soldier's story uh, mm-hmm. at Roundabout uh, just before the pandemic. And yeah, there was woo, this, this exact opposite of a musical comedy. Um, but you know, nonetheless, I, I I love telling stories like that. Um, diving into Black history um, in theater is, is is one of my favorite things. Um, and I was like, all right, it'd be cool to kind of do something that's a, a completely different um than a soldier's uh play and boom funny girl going there uh aud- well actually audition you know self-tape first you know what i mean got the call back maybe a couple weeks later um went in uh read with beanie and michael mayer the director and uh didn't hear anything again for a while. Uh, actually saw Beanie backstage when we were performing at the Tonys. Um, <laughs> and she gave me this big hug. She didn't know if I got the part. She didn't know who got the part. But when she gave me the big hug, I was just like, oh, man, maybe she knows something. Maybe I got the part. But she, she ended up not even knowing anything. And the next day after the Tonys, um, I found out that there was some rumblings that, you know, I was, you know, I was close to getting the part. And then maybe a couple of days after that, heard that I got the part and I was like oh man this is like super cool like I would have never thought that you know (laughs) I would be you know Eddie Ryan in in Funny Girl Um, and I immediately was like all right cool well you know what else are we working with other than the scenes that I auditioned with Um, and then how am I gonna pull this off between filming Manifest and (laughs) and rehearsing at the same time Uh, and like the entire you know industry kind of caught on that uh, I was about to take on this role and so did you know my producers over at manifest so everybody was on the phone trying to figure out schedule and everything like that trying to see if i could even do it make it work the contracts will line up all this crazy stuff because i you know i'm i'm just like all those early performers that i that i was discussing before like i want to do everything mm-hmm. like i never want to you know be limited to, to to one thing like if i can pull off doing eight projects at the same time like i would rather do that than sacrifice you know seven of them just to do one uh i'm built like that i'm built for it man i'm i'm i've been preparing for this stuff my my entire life uh so i want it all (laughs) and i don't want it all for me like i want it all for you know the performers 
the African-American performers that paved the way for me. Uh, a lot of them didn't get opportunities like this. So, you know, who am I to turn anything down or who am I to not make something work or try to make something work? Um, you know, every time I step on a project, step into a character, uh, I'm, I'm breathing their voices into those situations. And as much as I can do that, um, you know, the better off it will be for the next person that will do the same thing. Uh, we have to keep their voices alive. We have to keep their contributions to theater, music, uh, sports, arts acting we have to keep their voices alive because sadly you know a lot of those guys in the early 1900s the history books didn't write about them right, right. <laughs> you know we knew about everybody else we knew about everybody else but those guys were getting cut out of films weren't getting top billing you know because mm -hmm. of the color of their skin um and they really suffered you know as a result of where society was with race um they suffered because of that back then yet they were some of the greatest entertainers of all time greatest entertainers of the world. We're talking yeah. about people, you know, who took, it was, tap dance was the hip hop of the early 1900s. Right, right. You know what I mean? It was the hip hop of the early 1900s. Everybody was tap dancing. And then when Lindy Hop was exploding too, it was, it was, it was fusing. And then Lindy Hop, like it was just without tap dancers, a lot of this stuff would look completely different. So I'm just like, I have to pay homage to them every chance I get. And, um, you know, Funny Girl was that, that project for me. I was like, all right, well, you know, I can really breathe life into, you know, in particular, uh, Baby Lawrence uh, and John Bubbles, um, you know, with the character of Eddie Ryan. So, uh, yeah, man, it was, it's, it's been a joy ride. I got, the, I got the part and I was like, let's get it. Let me get in there and figure out who Eddie is because, you know, I wanted to really, you know, give him some layers that, you know, may have not been there before. Um, I wanted to figure out how to implement the history, um, you know, like I said before, without, you know, making it a story about, you know, black history. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to have a good time and just uh, bring smiles to people's faces, especially after the two years that we've all gone through with uh, COVID. Um, so, yeah, man, it was it was one of those things. If I got it, you know, I was I was going to do a lot with it. If I didn't get it, you know, I would have kept my foot on the gas and in, in hopes of other opportunities that I could, you know, kind of bring the history through uh with as well so um yeah man I'm, I'm i'm super grateful super thankful super blessed and um yeah i get to show up with jane lynch and ramin and 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 beanie and and the ensemble and uh man it's a party on stage every night man sometimes i forget that it's well actually it's, it's it, it would be a travesty to call it work because well, it's not really work man it's playing when, <laughs> when you and d watts write your you become a pentuple threat is that what it is when you're five five yeah when you're a pentuple threat and you've you and d watts have written your show about the history of dance in in america then i will be in front row producing the shit out of that for you so there you hey, go hey let's wow. get it all right so i'm going to wrap up with three standard closing questions that i ask everybody to end the episodes the first very simply is just what motivates you uh, uh kind of like what i was just talking about before uh all those great and phenomenal performers who paved the way for me i, I wake up every day and i you know my responsibility is to you know make sure they're not forgotten and make and then, sure they're celebrated i love that okay so then what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path uh the advice that i would give to my younger self is to establish purpose but that was one of the things that I was looking for for a long time. Was like, what is my purpose? Because my younger self, you know, I thought my purpose was what my idol's purpose was for all the people that I looked up to. And I didn't really understand that you know, I had to find my own purpose, <laughs> my own meaning, 
you know, in this this crazy game, you know, we call it life. I had to figure out what that was myself. Once I figured that out, then, as I said before, the floodgates open. Um, that's the advice I would give to my my younger self, and that's the advice I would give to, you know, young folks, uh, you know, around me um, who are looking for, you know, a way to break through. All right. So the last question is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Kelly's Last Jam. <laughs> With Tanya Pinkins? <laughs> Gregory Hines. That's right. That's Tanya right. Pinkins, that's right. Wolf. That show is, yeah, that's the one. That's the mm, one. Mm, I hear you. I hear you. Well, thank you so much. Make sure to visit me online at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast at facebook.com slash official theater podcast. TikTok at the theater podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review, share with your friends. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music who just dropped a new album. By the way, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been such a, a fun conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. North Carolina, stand up. North Carolina. <laughs> Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.